This podcast was produced in Melbourne on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land. I'm Faith Makale, and this is The Kicker, a weekly podcast bringing you stories from Australia's newest journalists. Have you ever felt compelled to try TikTok tips, tricks, and the products influencers market as self-care? Through the hard times of COVID, we've all developed our own self-care routines, which are essential for our mental health. But now cosmetic brands are crafting marketing strategies around self-care to connect with the socially conscious public. Is this a recent thing or has this been happening all throughout history? Today, I speak to the Kicker reporter Emil Pavlich about how brands and influencers promote products under social cost trends. Cosmetic Capitalism Recording in progress. Hi, Emil. Welcome to the show. Hi, Faith. How's it going? Good, good. How are you? How have you been? Yeah, I've been good. Lockdowns aside, you know. How about you? Lockdown's a bit of a drag since we've been going through this for quite some time now, you know, two years into the pandemic. But at least we're getting a little bit more of sunshine, you know. Yeah, that's right. I think as the weather gets better, we might start to have a few more freedoms, which will be nice for everyone in Melbourne, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, going out for a run, basking in the sun a little bit more. Got to slap on some sunscreen for that one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Just a little extra step in your skincare routine, I guess. Do you have a skincare routine, Emil? Yeah, I do have a bit of one. Um, I do like a serum that I have um, at night. Um, I'm not sure it's much of a routine, it's a bit impromptu, but yeah, how about yourself? Well, I do. It's a little complex. It's six steps, but having that kind of routine gives me some rain over my sanity in this really tough time of COVID and lockdown. And you actually spoke with someone about skincare and mental health and how it ties in to our situation now. Yeah, exactly. I actually got some tips from Lauren Meisner, who is the editor of Gen Z's fastest growing publication, Centennial Beauty. So we spoke about a lot of things, but in particular, we sort of spoke about the cosmetic industry and its impacts on mental health. We talked about overconsumption, fast beauty. And then we also talked about how certain products are marketed around social causes these days. Overconsumption. It's funny that you mentioned that because I used to hoard quite a lot of cosmetics back then. I think it's because being a young girl and going through puberty, you know, puberty can mean a lot of things to other people. For me, it's like acne and oily skin. So like anything that is marketed saying, if you buy this, your acne will go away or your oily skin will go away. I will buy it. And I think instead of building up my confidence, it just made me a little more insecure. You get what I mean? Yeah, definitely get what you mean. Lauren was definitely speaking about similar experiences and how fast beauty is eating away at firstly everyone's wallet, but then also just creating a very unhealthy sort of psychological environment, I guess, for the consumer, where you have to keep up with these new serums and toners that seem to be coming out every week from, you know, your favorite brands. We have a huge problem with fast beauty and fast skincare. Um, And you know, coming out with like a new skincare product every week or a new makeup or like eyeshadow palette every week, that's going to be detrimental to 
consumers mental health in general because it's like constantly trying to keep up and like we just don't have enough money <laughs> to keep up with all of the launches that have been happening Emil, do you think the shift to fast beauty has negatively impacted people's mental health well i'm not sure at this point it's probably mostly speculation I do know the term self-care has been searched much more during the pandemic, and we know how much lockdown has impacted on people's mental health. So, for example, um, trends such as meditation, mindfulness, relaxation, all increased on Google search trend results in 2020 and 2021, which I thought was really interesting because, you know, these sort of self-care routines that I think are keeping us pretty sane in these difficult times. And I think Lauren's onto something. The cosmetics industry is really trying to capitalize on conversations that we're now having around mental health. And I think that they're really trying to tie like beauty into mental health as a way to support your mental health, like skincare brands, for example, and brands that promote like self-care and that kind of image. If mental health advocacy is being manipulated to sell products under the sort of self-care banner, we're definitely going down a pretty dangerous route. And do you think brands capitalize on these trending topics? Um, we know that healthcare systems are definitely super pressed in Sydney and Melbourne. In the June report on self-care, the WHO estimated that about one in five of the world's population are now living under some form of health crisis. Uh, in the same report, there was a stat that I thought that was really interesting, said that on average, individuals are spending less than an hour a year with a healthcare worker versus over 8,000 hours a year in self-care. I have no doubt that self-care interventions can be incredibly effective and there are plenty of autonomous ways of preventing disease and sickness as well as improving your mental health. They empower individuals to help them through channels that don't necessarily exhaust the healthcare system and this could be something that's really useful, particularly in the context of the pandemic. As Lauren mentioned, there's definitely a lot of social causes that brands are jumping on the bandwagon of when everybody was like, use this time to self-improve and like, you know, showing off their home workouts and their sheet masks and their Netflix and whatever. And those things are all great and they do make you feel better in the moment, but to be marketing their product as if it's going to like help your, your mental health because you put on a sheet mask, <laughs> I think that's when it can become a problem. I think a lot of businesses and companies online are looking to trending material in order to stay relevant. This has been particularly interesting in a time, you know, during a pandemic when there's a lot of material about mental health. So looking back in history, because obviously skincare and cosmetics are not a new thing, it actually goes way, way, way back. Has there been a time where a beauty standard has caused harm or endangered the health of its consumers? Yeah, so back in the 1800s in Victorian England, The ghostly pale look was very sought after and makeups that contained lead to achieve what they wanted was uh, widely used. So someone created this thing called the arsenic complexion wafer. Maybe some of our listeners have heard of it. It's really more like a pill than a wafer. And they were supposed to be super safe cosmetics that claimed to offer exactly what the beauty standard was demanding of them. But in reality, they contained very harmful semi-metallic chemicals So essentially, they were capitalizing on beauty standard and also the fact that consumers didn't know any better. Yeah, exactly. Consumers who used these products actually wound up with rotting teeth, balding scabs, and 
outer layers of skin peeling away. So it was pretty gross. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that. It sounds like I'm laughing at a, people's misfortune. Thing happening to me. Yeah. It was like <laughs> laughing at a funeral. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Co-founding editor of Miss Magazine, Gloria Steinem, once said, don't assume that standards of beauty are accidental. They actually reflect the power structure in our society, which I think is an interesting way to sum up beauty standards. Yeah, these beauty standards can be so unattainable that it puts the public at harm, both historically and even until now. Yeah, today it might not be rotting teeth and balding scalps, but there's definitely still plenty of negative impacts on cosmetic marketing. I think the TikTok user Miss Persephone sums it up pretty well in this video. I think sometimes people get confused when they see a makeup video and are faced with texture. Many people grew up learning the art of makeup through the guise of YouTube. Many grew up unaware of camera filters, the intricacies of photo retouching, how makeup actually looks in real life. Beauty gurus lied to you. They sold you foundations while donning a blurring filter without showing you the way it truly looked. It begs the question, should these brands, celebrities, or influencers who perpetuate these beauty standards be held accountable? And if yes, then how? I think this is where things get muddy, particularly with influencers and creators. There needs to be some accountability on the part of the influencers because they obviously have these huge, huge platforms. But as Lauren says, consumers too need to do their own due diligence. Sometimes we put too much pressure on the creator and the influencer to be held to this impossible standard when at the end of the day, they are just doing their job. You know, like you go to your job, you're paid to do that. And that's their job is to sit on camera and shill product basically. (laughs) But on the other hand, there also does need to be some um, onus on the consumer themselves to make their own decisions. So the conclusion is basically that this is sort of an endless cycle of capitalizing on people's insecurities, really. If you were to look at the history of cosmetics and skincare and how it's marketed, it's evident that the industry thrived off eras of beauty standards. Brands on social media are now creating the beauty standards and people get insecure because they don't necessarily meet the standard that they see in their favorite influencer or favorite celebrity. So influencers are definitely monetizing on this a bit and creating a really tricky nexus between cosmetics, self-care and outright sponsored material. It's really a vicious cycle when you think of it. Yeah, there's definitely a Black Mirror episode or something like that in this. <laughs> but when you think think about it, though, you know, self-care doesn't necessarily have to be makeup or cosmetics. It doesn't have to be beauty. It can be just something outside of the typical endorphin booster. It could be exercising or maybe meditating, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, self-care is definitely a balance of a few different things, right? You know, we all like to eat well, um, exercise and keep doing things that we enjoy in order to sort of maintain some sanity during this period. What do you do to maintain your sanity in this period? Yeah, I do. I like a bit of yoga. Um, I also do try to eat, you know, lots of veggies, um, do a bit of exercise, go for a jog with a friend, these types of things. Yeah, I might have to try some of those sometime instead of just, you know, hoarding beauty products. (laughs) Thank you for your time, Emil. 
Thanks for having me, Faith. listening to The Kicker, brought to you by the RMIT Graduate Diploma in Journalism. For more in-depth stories, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next time. From 45 and above, over 410,000 women are, are indicated to become homeless in the next couple of years. This is a, a blight on our society.